I want to invite you, if I could, just to take a few moments before I continue and just bow our heads and quiet our hearts. Because if, if your week or your day has been anything like my day, you probably hurriedly came into this place today. Very few came early, though some of you did, and I was very impressed. It's not about us, but I'm impressed if people came early. But generally speaking, Christmas Eve is a time of busyness where we're trying to put all of our little things together and cross our T's and dot our I's. So before we do anything else this evening, can we just take a deep breath, quiet our hearts, and just invite God to visit with us and meet with us tonight during our Christmas Eve service. So let's just do that. God, we just come before you today, and I say thank you during this Christmas Eve service that we can come before you, we can recognize who you are, we can celebrate the birth of your son. Lord, I pray that you would fill this place with your presence tonight. I pray, God, that we wouldn't be so um, distracted by what will happen after our meeting tonight or what will happen tomorrow morning or the details that need to be handled uh, into the night tonight. But, Lord, everything would be done later, and we would be able to stay focused on that which matters right now. Celebrating you, remembering the birth of your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to ask you a question, and it's, uh, it's a question you don't need to respond to, uh, just to answer in your, in your head, but uh, what does the birth of Jesus mean? Uh, I was just uh, watching a TV broadcast this morning uh, while I was in a waiting room, and I was listening to um, a religious leader explain that to the news broadcasters. What does the birth of Jesus mean? What does it mean for us today? If I asked every one of us to answer that question, I wonder what we would say. Some of us would say similar things, but I bet there would be many different approaches or many different answers to that tonight. What does the birth of Jesus mean? Well, the answer is the reason why we celebrate Christmas, right? You might say, well, the birth of Jesus is why we celebrate Christmas. Um, Some of you may say it's about great joy. The birth of Jesus represents great joy because we sing songs like Joy to the World, right? One of the most popular songs during this time of year. Some of you may say salvation to the world, that God sent his son so that he would be able to save the world from our sin, that he would rescue us from a world of sin. And that would be true, especially based on what we hear the angels say and how they visited the shepherds and the message that were proclaimed during the the evening of Jesus' birth. Some people may say it represented a new government because we sing not just to Christ, but we sing to the newborn what? King. We call him a king. Now, we don't understand kingship in our country because we don't live in a monarchy. But the newborn king was one of the reasons why, if you went back to the New Testament and the birth of Jesus, people would recognize that the birth of Jesus represented a new government that was going to be established. There are lots of different reasons, but the thing I want to challenge you with today, and I want you to just think about this simply, is that all of those things pretty much are physical, except for the salvation piece. But salvation could be physical or spiritual, and I'll explain that in just a minute. We could also receive salvation from government oppression. You see, the people of Israel were also recognizing their need to be saved from those that were oppressing them. So it wasn't necessarily always a spiritual thing. But these things were primarily physical. And there was great joy because a deliverer would bring freedom to the nation of Israel. When Jesus was born and the proclamation was made to the people there in that area, what we saw was a declaration, a declaration that a new order was about ready to happen. 
that Jesus, the newborn king, was going to set up a new order for the nation of Israel, a new government, if you will. And that's pretty exciting for those people, but it was a physical expectation. I'm willing to believe many of them never really understood that he didn't really come to change the physical world that he really came to change the spiritual. Because when you look at the Gospels and you look at the writings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you see over and over and over again is that the disciples didn't get it. And they walked with Jesus for three years. That they were always waiting for him to do the physical change and he continually went back to them and said, when are you going to understand? I didn't come to change the physical. I came to change the spiritual. That's significant for us tonight. So what does the birth of Jesus mean? Yes, it means great joy. His birth means salvation. It means a new government. But ultimately, if I could whittle this down, and I think this is why this is so significant, and if we can grasp a hold of this tonight, just for a few moments, it will radically change the way that you look at Christmas. God bless you. It will radically change the way you look at Christmas. Because... When we see it through the spiritual, then every time we think of Christmas, whether we worship God or whether we not, whether we don't, has nothing to do with our circumstances. It has everything to do with what Jesus has already done. So you talk to people in this world, and there are legitimate hardships that people go through this time of year. There are legitimate memories that people have in their hearts this time of year. Some of you sitting in here tonight might actually say, I'm here, but I don't really enjoy celebrating Christmas. Maybe you're one of those people tonight. Can I tell you, when we understand the spiritual truth of what Christmas really is about, our circumstances have no bearing on whether we worship God. Because the truth is still the truth. And it doesn't change the fact that we may still not feel pain or we may still not feel struggle or memories of maybe people that we've lost or family members that are no longer of this earth. But it doesn't change the fact that what Jesus did changed the world forever. What is the birth of Jesus about? The birth of Jesus is about the birth of peace. The birth of peace. And that's briefly what I want to talk about tonight, just for the next few minutes. Now, what is peace? There are examples of peace in our own world, and you see in Scripture as well. Peace can mean different things to different people. It could mean quiet. When you say peace, just, it could just mean be silent, be quiet, right? I just need a little peace in my home. When our kids were young, I could just use a little peace sometimes, if you know what I mean. Just silence, right? still remember a story years ago of my mom telling me when she was sitting before she had children, her older sister sitting at a kitchen table with four little kids screaming and yelling, running around the house. And my mom looked at her and said, Marion, how do you think with all of this noise around? And my aunt looked at my mom and said, D, I don't hear a thing. <laughs> some of you know what I'm talking about. You learn peace means silent for some people. Peace can also mean a ceasefire. With regard to war times, whether we fight or we not to fight, it's a choice for a time not to fight. Some of you are familiar with the Middle East and how there's peace talks in the Middle East for as long as we can go back and remember. That is not the kind of peace that the Bible talks about. Peace talks are a decision that they make at some point to stop fighting for a time. It can also mean unity, where it's not just about a decision to stop fighting, where you actually get along. 
And you build relationship with each other. See, it means lots of different things. But when Jesus came, he came to bring peace. And the prophet Isaiah, I think, said it best. And I just want to read the scripture with you in Isaiah 9, 6, when he says this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. He will be called the Prince of Peace. What is peace? Well, in the Old Testament, the Hebrews used the term shalom to illustrate peace and to describe peace. What is peace in the Old Testament? If I could, if I could bring it down to a simplistic definition of what I think it says, it's simply this. It's something that is not achievable by man's attempts, but it requires the intervention of God. True peace, shalom peace in the Old Testament is not something that man can create on our own attempts just by silencing people or making people get along. True peace, the kind of peace they talk about that only God can bring requires God's intervention. This is the kind of peace that they were talking about because we live in a world of unrest. And I think all of us can take a step back and just look at our own lives. We can look at our culture we can look at the world around us and see that we live in a world that lacks peace, don't we? We can try to create peace. There are places that exist to try to create peace. Have you ever been to a library? They try to create peace, and it still doesn't happen sometimes, or it's temporary. People try to create peace. Why can't you, your brother and sister, why can't you just get along, Right? Your brother and sister, why do you have to fight? Just, just get along and love each other. And for a while, people will walk in harmony, but eventually it stirs itself back up again, right? You may take your calendar this year, as we're coming into 2019, and you may reorganize your calendar over and over again this year. You may reorganize your calendar. Why? Because life is too hectic. Life gets too busy. And you are going to plan your weeks, months, and year out. And then what happens in life? Life. And eventually you look at your calendar and you go, how did this become this? Make sense? How many of you ever had an experience like that in your life ever where it says, I tried and it didn't work out. Did anyone ever have that experience? And you're like, I'm just struggling with still trying to keep peace because our world doesn't create peace. Our world creates chaos. Our world creates busy. Our world tells us we need more. We have to go faster. We have to be more hurried that there's so much noise to occupy our ears and our eyes and our minds and our thoughts that we can try all we want to create peace to the best of our ability. But friends, I'm just being honest. We'll never be able to create peace if we're the only ones that are trying to make it happen. There are times in my life, recently, in the past, and I know looking ahead, that there are days that I just lay my head down on the pillow and I go, thank God that day is over. It was a busy day. Thank God that day doesn't have to be relived. Maybe some of you have had those experiences before. And I don't just mean when bad news comes. I just mean it was nonstop busy. It was nonstop hurried. Maybe, like I said, you walk through the doors tonight feeling busy, feeling hurried. Who creates that? 
The world that we live in creates that. But the beauty of the arrival of Jesus is that Jesus creates a peace. His birth creates an opportunity for this world to experience peace that none of us can create on our own. None of us can create on our own. What does it look like? What does his peace look like? Simply this, unshakable confidence, I believe. Unshakable confidence. And this is what I mean by that. Confidence that anything that the world around us can be in, anything type of chaos that the world may be in, doesn't determine the level of peace in our lives. An unshakable confidence that simply says, regardless of what's happening in our lives, the circumstances around us can't rock the rock in our hearts. Does that make sense? That's what I'm trying to communicate tonight, and that's why I think Jesus came. Because he didn't come to say, you know what, I'm here to clear your calendar. And you know what, every day of your life you're going to get up and just feel like everything is calm and at ease. Listen, if you think that, you don't have any children, my friends. Just being honest. Just being honest. And maybe you're like, I don't have any children, I still feel like that. Welcome to the club. This is the way it happens. It doesn't work that way. Jesus didn't come so that we just stand up one day and go, oh, we just breathe in Christ and, and, and our lives just feel like there's no stress. No, he came to create an unshakable confidence by saying, if you base your life off of me, if the meaning of your life is me, the foundation of your life is me, you will find that when things are hectic, there is rest. When things are quiet, there is rest. When things are confusing and you're anxious and you just want to pull your hair out, figuratively speaking, there's rest. That it doesn't matter what you're walking through, what pain you're dealing with, what abuse you struggle with, what what issue you've wrestled with, what test you have to study for. Always in every situation, whether you're facing really, really hard things or really, really horrible things. There is peace because your confidence is not built on you. Your confidence is built on Christ. Now, now how do I know this? It's not because I'm a pastor. I know this because of what I see in God's word. And I want to take Isaiah 9, 6 and break out three things very briefly to remind you this Christmas season, how we know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah says it this way. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And look what it says. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. He will be called Mighty God. He will be called Everlasting Father. And to sum it all up, he is the Prince of Peace. Why did I highlight those three things? Because I think if we can take a step back and go, if Jesus really is the Wonderful Counselor, we can trust that he is the Prince of Peace. If Jesus really is the mighty God, we can trust that he is the Prince of Peace. And if he is the everlasting Father, we can trust that he is the Prince of Peace. And this is what I mean. If he's the wonderful counselor, it means Jesus alone is the greatest wisdom. How many of us need help? How many of us need guidance in our life? How many of us are confused with things that we wrestle with each and every day sometimes when we go, I, I just don't know the right answer. Do I go left or do I, go, do I right? Who do I talk to about this? Well, the Holy Spirit comes upon us when we put our faith in Christ and he becomes our counselor. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that God has united you with Christ. As we have faith in Christ, he unites us with Christ for our benefit 
God made him to be wisdom itself. What does that mean? It means, it means when our foundation is Christ, our foundation is wisdom. And when we lack wisdom, we get anxious, right? How many of you are, have ever been in a situation where you don't know what to do in life and you're really struggling with it and you don't know if you should go left or you should go right. You don't know if you should say yes or you should say no. I wonder how many of us go, I don't know where to go. Wisdom speaks clearly as we know Christ. And if he is the wonderful counselor and he has the greatest wisdom, we can trust in him and then there's peace. The second thing it says in Isaiah 9, 6 is he is mighty God. Mighty God means that he is the greatest authority. He is the greatest authority. Jesus said himself in Matthew 28, 18 and 19, after the resurrection, he stood before his followers and he said, I have been given all authority Look what he says, all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's been given all authority. Sometimes we think that we know better than he does. And that's where our world can become shaken. But what if, what if he really came as the Prince of Peace and he has all authority over heaven and of earth, over earth. That doesn't mean that he's our vending machine and we can put a quarter in and pray a few times and God gives us everything we want. That's actually really bad biblical interpretation. It doesn't have anything to do with that. What it means is that he, as the Prince of Peace, that there is nothing in this world that is not subject to him. Everything bows at the feet of Christ. Every illness, every circumstance, every demonic influence, Every oppression, listen, every, every division, every hopeless situation, all of them are subject to the authority of Christ. And if we take a step back and say, he is the mighty God, he is the greatest authority, that should create peace in our hearts. The one who commanded the winds and the waves to stand still is in charge of the universe. And if he lives in me through the power of his spirit, should I not be able to experience peace even in very tragic, difficult times? I think so. I think of the sin condition that we deal with. I think of the sin condition that I deal with. How many times have we dealt with the same patterns over and over again in our lives and we say, it feels like these habits or these addictions or these sins or these broken marriages or these relationships that are, they'll never, ever, ever be able to be fixed. And it feels like it's a hopeless cycle that just a merry-go-round that never ends. Can I tell you, if everything is subject to the authority of Christ, when we build our lives on Christ as a foundation, everything is able to be changed. Everything. And that should create peace if Jesus is the one that we build upon. The last area I want to show you tonight is simply this. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, third, everlasting father. And if he's our everlasting father, that means that he's also the greatest love. He's the greatest love. Paul says in Romans eight thirty nine that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want you to just think about that just for a moment because you're here, many of you are here with people that you care about. Family members, friends, neighbors, maybe people you've invited. People love people. There are people that you're probably sitting next to, I hope that you love. Can I tell you, you can't love them more than God loves them. And they can't love you more than God loves you. 
Think about that just for a moment. If he is a wonderful counselor, he has the greatest amount of wisdom. You can walk in true peace. If he is a mighty God and he has the greatest authority, you can walk in true peace because everything is subject to Christ. And if he is the everlasting father, he demonstrates love greater than anyone else. It means you can build your life on relationship with Christ and that's, you will experience love in a way that nobody else will be able to share with you. That's the truth of the gospel of Christ. So when I, when I think about Christmas and I think about it's such a difficult time for some people. It's such an exciting time for others. There are some that come to church and they're so excited because Christmas is exciting for them. And they think about the gifts and the presents and they think about the, the cookies and the family time and the music and it excites them. And then other people go, I just feel, I feel like I'm not normal because I don't love Christmas the way that they do. Can I tell them whether you're excited about Christmas or you're not excited about Christmas, you can still worship God because he never changes. And our circumstances should not change the fact that when he was born, he came. He came as a mighty God. He came as a wonderful counselor. And he came as an everlasting father. If you're here this evening and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and he is not the foundation of your life, I want to lovingly challenge you to reevaluate some things because he's calling you He draws you, and he didn't send his son just for the other people that made the choice to follow him. Jesus came to die so that you and I could give our lives and give our lives to him fully so that we could experience true peace. Amen? Would you bow your heads as we pray? Father, I just want to ask tonight that each person that's here would hear the message of Christmas through a new lens. God, that that the ears that they use tonight wouldn't be about the trees or the decorations or the music. It wouldn't be about the candles or the family or the food. God, it would simply be about you. It would be about your son coming to bring peace to a hopeless world. The kind of peace that says he has great wisdom better than anyone else. He has great wisdom. He has great power and he has great love for each one of us. Jesus, I want to say thank you for coming so that we can trust in your wisdom, that you can teach us how to walk and how to love, that you can teach us that there is nothing that is too hard for you, and you can teach us how to be, how you are a good dad and a good father so that each one of us can experience love with you and for you. God, as we worship you in just a few short moments by lighting these candles, I just pray that our hearts would be open and we would experience the presence of your spirit. Have your way, Heavenly Father, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. At this time, I'm going to ask our ushers if they would come forward as we begin uh, get ready to, to receive our benevolence offering tonight. And just as a reminder, as what Pastor Rob said, I just wanted to share one thing with you if I can, and it's simply this. The benevolence offering is something we do every year at the church. 100% of everything that comes in goes to help people in practical ways. 
in our church, outside our church, needs that come up that we are unaware of earlier in the year. And 100% of what comes in tonight does go towards that. If you give normal tithes and offerings and you do not label them tonight as a normal tithe and offering, it will be designated for benevolence. And I want you to know that. You could say, well, what's the problem with that? Come talk to me. Um, (laughs) Benevolence offerings are above and beyond tithes at the church and offerings. But if you give, we just want you to know that 100% of it goes in practical ways. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to hear this, and I just want to share it very briefly. Um, in addition to helping people with rental assistance and car repairs and food, we had an opportunity a number of months ago to help one of our missionaries that came from Bridge, Jessica Oberholzer, who was currently a missionary in India. She reached out to us and she said that the orphan or the school that she works through had a requirement to have beds made for some of the kids that lived there in the orphanage that lived there, and they needed to make 32 beds for the cost of $1,300. you imagine making 32 beds for $1,300 in the United States? Well, we were able to send $1,300 to Jess Oberholzer, and they made 16 bunk beds with the wood and shelving and all of the mattresses so that 32 kids would have a place to sleep every night. Isn't that awesome? just wanted to show that to you. So if you would join me as we just get set up for our our benevolence uh, special music. We're just going to ask that God would bless this tonight, and then we're going to share in a few moments of music before we light our candles. Father, I come before you tonight, and I want to say thank you again that the practical gifts that we give are used for your kingdom and your purpose. God, I just ask in Jesus' name that we would be mindful of everything that we have available to you, to us, that, God, we would give with an obedient heart but with a a generous and a caring heart for the things that you want to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.